In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. What do you imagine those two disciples were saying to one another on that long walk home to Emmaus? We can imagine something of what they must have been feeling after three shattering days in Jerusalem, when all their hopes had been dashed, their faith drained of anything it once meant, and their future emptied of joy. When we hear those words, they stood still, looking sad. We can feel the weight of their crushing disappointment, their leaden hearts and their leaden feet. But what were they saying? Luke, the skilled storyteller and fluent writer, who in his other book, the book of Acts, is meticulous about people's names and places and who said what to who, leaves so much open here. No one is certain who these two disciples are. One, we know, is called Cleopas, and possibly he is the same person as the Clopas that John, in his Gospel, tells us was the husband of one of the women who stood and watched through those agonising hours as Jesus was crucified. Both are abbreviations of the same longer name, like Nick and Nicky. And so perhaps these two, trudging home as the late afternoon sun slips behind the hills, are husband and wife as the painting on our service sheet suggests. One thing they do we do know is that they were arguing. Our translators have given us the polite they were discussing, but the Greek original is more forceful. Whether they are friends, neighbours, siblings, or indeed a married couple, Their grief is so all-consuming that they are incapable of reaching out to one another. To great shock and sorrow is added anger and recrimination towards the person we expected most support from. I've seen that happen, and I'm sure you have. Grief is so isolating, so lonely. You weren't there. I watched it all. I told you you shouldn't have gone. You won't listen. Could Mary have seen him? I keep thinking of the look on her face. Don't be ridiculous. It's finished. The other mystery that Luke gives us is that no one knows exactly where Emmaus was. There are at least nine places it might have been all at varying distances from Jerusalem, and none of them proven. But perhaps this is Luke at his most skilled, because his story allows room for those characters to represent any or all of us, and the bleak road of disappointment that they were walking is the road that we have all walked at one time or another, or might be walking now. It is the road we walked when we didn't get, or lost, the dream job. When we received a frightening diagnosis. When our loved one died and we couldn't say goodbye. Or when love itself died. It is the long road back to the empty house, the unread mail, to life as usual. 
if life can ever be usual again. It is into this bitter scene that the stranger walks. He comes up from behind, falls into step with them and asks what they have been talking, arguing about. They are incredulous. What? You're coming from Jerusalem? Are you the only person who doesn't know what happened there? No doubt glad of some diverting company, they spill out their sorry tale of how it all started so well with Jesus. The miracles, the stories, the eloquent words, how nobody's felt like they were somebody's, how hungry people were fed, the promise of a future better than anything you could dream up, and then how it all went horribly wrong, and now there was nothing to do but forget it all. We had hoped. It's over. These are surely the most melancholy words in scripture. Jesus knows his companions need to talk before they can listen. Awareness of the resurrection in the Gospels is always gradual, hesitant, faltering. Jesus doesn't return as a superhero in a blaze of glory, jumping out of the tomb and dazzling us with a display of power. He does not appear only to those who are full of faith. He comes as a presence, a companion, a conversation partner to the disappointed, the doubtful, the wanderers who have despaired of finding him. He comes to those who do not understand their Bibles, those who do not recognise him, even when he is beside them, talking with them. He comes to those who have given up and are heading home, which makes this a story about the blessedness of brokenness, a place where we all are right now to one degree or another. So much in our world has jolted to a standstill. We have retreated into our homes and we are powerless to fix things. We too are saying we had hoped for so many things. The risen Christ knows all about brokenness. He didn't come as a conquering hero but as a suffering servant, not as a fighter, but as a physician. He still bears his wounds, his scars. Which tells us that the risen Christ may be especially good at working with broken people, with broken dreams, in a broken world. Give him a loaf, and what will he do with it? Break it, bless it, give it, so that everybody will be fed. Give God a body, and what will he do with it? Let it be broken, blessed, and given to a needy world. Our painting displays a scene of friendship, warmth, and hospitality. The friends now at home have listened to the story of God 
which make sense of their own stories. And they are sharing in the sacrament of broken bread and wine. Everyday activities of our churches prevented at the moment. But what nothing can prevent is the presence of Christ listening to us, caught up in what we have lived through, what we are living through. Standing behind the disciple on the right, there seems to be a shadowy fourth presence. Is that me or you? We, too, are invited to sit down and tell our story and to hear again that the old has passed, the new has come, and there is a golden shimmer of glory over all things. Amen.